Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, today with my fabulous co-host. Hey, everybody. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. So today we're going to be talking about how to help clients with that struggle with self-discipline. So we're going to be talking about mindset and all different sorts of things. But before we dive too far deep into that, I wanted to talk with you about a special opportunity that um, our listeners or anyone generally in the public that is not currently a glam girl athlete can um, apply for the opportunity to uh, receive free complimentary coaching from me. And I'm looking for very hardworking individuals that are of the mindset that want to become pro or maybe already are a pro that want to head to the Olympia stage. So I will be accepting applications. I'm going to have the link. It's a Google form. I'm going to put it in the show notes. And basically, if you wow me with your reasons as to, you know, why you are like, you know, the right fit for this role, I guess you would say, um, mm-hmm. why you should be sponsored, um, then I will go ahead and um, award you with that um, free coaching. So um, it's just something that I want to do to give back to the industry. And um, I I feel like sometimes, you know, the cost of competing can be um, a barrier to entry. And so I want everybody to be the best version of themselves. And so if you can show me that by your application and um, kind of display like your work ethic and what you're all about. Um, I'm also going to be taking like pictures and, and things of like previous competitions, if you've done them or your current progress photos and things like that. So it's a pretty in-depth, uh, application, but I'll be announcing those winners here over the next like month, um, as we accept applications throughout all of September. So there's that, um, Anything that you wanted to update our audience with, Chris? Did you let them know where they can apply? Yes, I, I mentioned the show no- the Google Doc will be, or the Google form will be in the show notes link. Oh, okay, perfect. Okay, yes, good job, everyone, for listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I don't have any new updates at all. Okay, all right. Well, we are going to get right into six actionable takeaways, but. First, I wanted to kind of mention some research that has been done on self-discipline. And I thought it was interesting. So across the world, there's been several studies done on this, but basically they took identical twins and then they took fraternal twins. So they wanted to kind of uh, analyze the behaviors of the identical twins that obviously have the same DNA and then the fraternal twins that do not, and compare these two groups of people to help them discern what part of self-control is influenced by your genetics, and then what piece of that product or other things like environment, where they grew up, how those things had an impact on what type of self-discipline the fraternal twins had um, compared to each other versus um, identical. So it showed that 60% of the variation in self-discipline was between the individuals came from genetic influence. So that means 40% essentially is our environment, what we surround ourselves with. And um, so the good news is, is that self-discipline is not 100% genetic. 
So you can, even though DNA does play a very important role in this, obviously, uh, 60% of it, it's, you know, even if your genes are predisposing you to have an easier or a harder time in regulating your thoughts and behaviors and impulses, you still have that 40% that you are in control of when it comes to um, your level of discipline that you have. So Chris, did you mm-hmm. want to start with number one on the tip on how to regulate that? Uh, yes. So tip number one is uh, talking about why individualization matters. So as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, that's a big thing that we like to preach at Glam Girl is taking an individualized approach to each client. Um, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind that a one size fits all approach doesn't fit everybody. So if there's one approach that you're struggling with um, to really like nail down a part of your lifestyle or habit, there's other different approaches or strategies that may be just a better fit for you. Um, so that's why it's good to uh, just, you know, if you're trying to eat healthy and you make one attempt and you fail at it because you just want to have, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, there's very, that's one thing that I've learned from coaching. There's a variety of variations of ways to set up somebody's macros or their nutrition to help them feel successful, um, to help get them the best out of their nutrients and the most out of their goals. But, you know, whether that's having you know, carb cycling or l- lower calories during the week and higher on the weekend <clears throat> or instituting, um, weekly or bi-weekly refeeds where we give you a surplus um, there's just like a million different strategies so don't get discouraged if your first attempt second attempt even third attempt is not successful you may just not have found the right piece of the puzzle that um, connects best with with you and your personality yeah I mean there's lots of different examples in terms of I like to think about people's personality types um, especially in relation to like the Enneagram and you think about a seven who is very like social and they get FOMO a lot and they have a hard time Mm -hmm. with self-control around like social groups and doing things. Um, And then you have like your ones who are perfectionists that want to follow things like perfectly to the T and it can make a big difference in terms of like the amount of detail that a client needs versus just basically making something simplified and mm-hmm. really incorporating their personality and what is sustainable to them in the long run. So um, that can even be like you were mentioning briefly, like about the ratios of macronutrients. So, you know, some people might, um, you know, enjoy the higher carbs and feeling more volume, whereas other people might enjoy like higher fats and like a less volume of food, which I don't understand that part, but, um, (laughs) but everybody's different. Right. So I have some Mm -hmm. people that they're just like, I do not like feeling full. I don't like having so much volume of food. So those are clients that we need to think about, you know, putting oils in or like protein powders, things that are easily digestible that aren't going to keep them satisfied for a long amount of time because maybe they're under eating. Um, and then vice versa, you know, keeping those that are hungry all the time, um, you know, making sure that they have good volume in their food selection. So 
Um, those are my examples to that one. Any other individualization examples you have? Um, I just feel like nutrition is a thing that people struggle with the most. So I kind of like gravitate towards that. But um, I think just to reiterate off of your point in that, like the deficit is where we start seeing results. <clears throat> and no matter how you want to set up your macros so that you're tricked into feeling like you're eating extra or you're not in a deficit, but you're, you know, like that's the happiest medium right there where you're, you're feeling good about your food, you're getting results. And that may not be the case for the entire journey of your prep, but um, that's one thing I like that you instituted, Amy, is like taking into consideration the person's individuality. And I also like to look at their schedule too, <clears throat> because you have nighttime nurses, you have people that wake up super early, you have people that are flying airplanes that don't have the, you know, same luxury of getting in steps or exercise or eating food and drinking that same amount of water. So it's all about like matching it to that individual person. Um, and I feel like sometimes when people, they apply, they're like, I have these barriers. And I think that's part of our job as coaches is to figure out how to maximize the results with those pieces in place. Um, and so like, yes, to talk about specifically, I think nutrition is a big one. Um, letting people pick which days they can go to the gym if they have a five day split, like look at your work schedule and whatever day you've days you feel like you can get in a good workout. You're not rushed through. If that means working out on the weekend, you have to work around your kids like sports schedule. Um, I think allowing some flexibility in that aspect and talking people through the problem solving of making it absolutely individualized is, is part of the fun I think of coaching. Yeah. And I'm one that I would rather eat more food and do more movement, but there's a lot of people that get a lot of anxiety when they get too much, too high of a step goal or too yeah. many days of training. And we just really have to dial in the nutrition. It's always mm -hmm. a trade off, whatever way you're going to find that deficit. But I think too, exactly. that's another thing that is really important to consider. Um, you know, if someone's realistically going to feel like, they're going to fail if you give them all sorts of movement, but give them a lot of right. food, then maybe, you know, that's not right for them. And so they just need a tighter diet um, and be able to do less movement. Um, so they still have the deficit. All right. Number two. So when we ask our questions, you know, when we're onboarding clients and it's funny that you talked about obstacles and barriers because that's actually part of that application. Um, so th those of you that do apply for coaching um, for the scholarship or a sponsored athlete, um, that's one of the things that's part of the application is what are your what are your obstacles? What are your barriers? And I think that when we consider that onboarding process of a client, we need to ask them, you know, what does and doesn't work for you? So a lot of times actually in our application, even for just new clients that are that are paying that aren't sponsored. Um, that's one of the things that we ask them, you know, like what have you, what diets have you tried in the past? Um, you know, we need to know what areas, you know, are their strong points? What are their tough spots? And that's going to be able to help us as coaches better anticipate, you know, what's going on. Um, and, you know, 
trying to work through putting themselves in situations that they're going to have the most success. And when it comes to nutrition, what situations are they going to have the most self control? Mm-hmm. You know, and where are when there are times that they're struggling, you know, why are their their thoughts going to this, um, you know, this place or why is this behavior? We always look for that root cause. And I always feel like if you can't get results for a client, you haven't asked enough questions. And I'm a true believer in that whenever I'm doing accountability calls, like, that's the main thing, especially when I'm feeling like adherence hasn't happened. And sometimes the clients don't even realize that they're doing something that's mm-hmm. not like leading them in the proper direction. And we've kind of hit a plateau. And so that's why I like these 30 minute phone calls that we do as part of your program. It's we're talking through these, these things. We're going through your diary. Um, we're going through the daily actions in your life and trying to pick up on cues as to why maybe even if the client doesn't realize like, okay, this is actually setting you back, you know, um, mm-hmm. like, you're not getting enough sleep and um, you're stressed Mm. out and things like that. Yeah. You bring up a really interesting point. Um, I think sleep is such a big part of people struggling with uh, that self-control piece because um, I see it time and time again, when people are fatigued, that's when they're like more vulnerable to those slips with extra foods or bites, or they're not managing their stress. They're not having downtime. Um, and those things that were once manageable are now feeling like completely out of control. So I think it's a matter of like learning your boundaries and what you can and cannot handle and making sure that you're protecting that. And for me, myself, I know that the deeper that I get into a dieting season, the shorter my boundaries are become because I have other factors in play, whether that's being a little bit more hungry um, or feeling a little bit more stressed with activity. Maybe my sleep's not as great. Um, so we, I start pulling away from things where maybe that's like a, a social situation where I just feel like it would be overwhelming. And it's for a temporary time, right? It's not that, you know, prep life, you can never have a social outing. You can never go do things, but you want to make sure that you're the decisions are time sensitive or particular to what phase of the journey that you're in. I just had a client who told me that over the weekend, she uh, went out with her husband and she decided to have a drink. And she said, this is why I don't drink because when I start drinking, then I just start wanting to eat, start wanting to eat everything. Um, And again, that's not that someone can't drink or it should be no alcohol ever. Um, but it's a matter of like knowing your boundaries and what you can't and can't control. What are things that are going to make the decision making a little bit more difficult um, and having like a time and a place for that. So I just went on a ramble there, but hopefully that makes sense about just being intentional about what your where the line is drawn at what time in your prep. Yeah. And I think too, just kind of knowing when your level of stress uh, wanes, just having some safeguards in place. So like for me at night is a time where I struggle to stay out of like the pantry and eating extra food. So I just know that 
you know, some safeguards that I put in place is I save a lot of my macros for the last meal. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a fasting window that, you know, ends at like four. So uh, the kitchen in my mind is shut down, but I know that my level of self-control is not as good as it is when I wake up in the morning. I have a lot of self-control. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my brain hasn't had to make a lot of decisions and I have a lot more energy. So I just know that, you know, as I get deeper into prep too, that I need to have things available like, um, you know, decaf coffee and, mm-hmm. um, hot teas and things like that. So that, I can kind of satisfy that oral fixation at night and not, you know, go outside my diet and away from my goals. So I think too, just having that self-awareness in regards to where your self-control begins and ends is really important. So like green light, red light (laughs) type of situation. Yeah, that's a good example. Absolutely. Okay, so remember the power of internal values and identity. So this is number three on our tips, and research shows that we require less self-control when we're doing behaviors that align with our identity. So it's very important. I know it's very cliche to say, oh, like, know your why and things like that. But I do think that if you can link your new behaviors, so if you're just getting into the sport, and or maybe you're coming out of a, a deep improvement season and you're adopting new behaviors and transitioning into maybe like a cut phase. It's important mm-hmm. to align those behaviors to the values um, and kind of identify them and know what's important to you. So do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say this was a big piece for me um, personally just to identify with what my, you know, yes, you have to know why you are not choosing to eat M&Ms, talking to myself completely, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because you know that that's not going to advance you towards where you want to go. And we can like say the words, but I think there's a difference between like saying it and actually believing it. Like I'm an athlete. Well, yeah, I'm not in the NBA or I'm not in the NFL, but I am an athlete. And that's why I try and like verbalize to my clients as well, because they're making sacrifices on a continual basis. And to make those sacrifices, you have to know why. Um, So if you're not identifying with yourself as an athlete, whether you're a first time competitor or you're a pro, it doesn't matter Um, if you're living and identifying as an athlete, you're going to make different decisions. So I think there's, that's what one thing I like about bodybuilding is it's not just about like getting your physique to this optimal level. There's so much mental work that plays a part in getting you there and then keeping you advancing because eventually like you get over the highs of like, oh my gosh, I've never looked like this. This is amazing because it's, there's like that initial honeymoon phase And then there's like all of the time after that where you're just pushing for a little bit more or that 1% better and um, having a strong rooted identity in who, who you are as an athlete, I think is really important to helping you achieve uh, that extra, you know, 1%. Yeah. All right. Number four has to do with environment. So we talked in the beginning about the study that, you know, 40% is kind of the environment, right? It's not all just our DNA. So 
we, although, you know, maybe our 60% isn't huge in the fact that we've got a lot of genetic uh, potential, like for self-control, but we, we can really do some things with our environment. And for example, like, let's put the junk food out there. Cause I think that's like a very simple explanation of changing your environment. So if you have a bunch of snacks and things that are really tempting for you to eat, um, I know we've talked about this in the past, like barriers, right? So it's very easy to go into the pantry and get that junk food if it's accessible and you've bought a lot of it and you have it at your house. Um, I always fear when competitors after a show, they hoard a bunch of food and bring it to the show because it ends up all getting eaten. So, yeah. you know, I mean, myself included, <laughs> I've done yep. this before where I bring yep. like a whole box of Pop-Tarts and I bring like every bar that I've missed eating, like protein bar. And, um, you know, by the end of it, I, I eat it all because it's there and mm -hmm. it's accessible. So even if I'm not hungry, I'll finish it all. So if you don't bring it, the odds of you, you know, eating that are very slim to none because you're going to have to take the effort to go somewhere to get that. So, I mean, for the example, after the show, if you just go out to eat, and order something at a restaurant, then you're done with it, right? You don't have like a million things back in your hotel, like waiting for you to finish off. Um, or, you know, the example of like in your pantry, um, if you want to get like a highly processed food, you'd have to actually go to the store. That definitely puts a barrier, right? It mm -hmm. makes it a little bit more difficult. So just kind of changing your environment in that regard um, if it comes to working out and you're not super motivated, then maybe you need to set out your workout clothes or you need to block out a time where you have the most energy, mm -hmm. where you feel like you're going to go. Like if I blocked out my afternoons to go work out, the odds of me actually doing that would be slim to none. I don't have <laughs> as much energy and I'm full on in my work mode, but I have mm -hmm. a ton of energy when I wake up. So it makes so much sense to, you know, do that in the morning when I'm feeling my best. Um, that's to add on that. Yeah, you. <laughs> I am not a morning person. You guys, if you ever see me early in the morning, <laughs> I do not go see Amy. She is the sunshine in the morning. <laughs> um, so I'm very envious that you have tons of energy in the, in the morning, Amy. But um, piggybacking off of the workout thing, I recently have just feeling like uh, I needed a change environment for my lifts um and so i drove an extra 15 minutes to a different gym which is a different environment um i'm sure some of you can relate sometimes when you're at a gym too long everybody knows you especially if you're a competitor they want to comment and sometimes you're just there to go to war and just work through your workout and it can be distracting so sometimes i'll just visit a different location um it's feels new it it re-energizes my workout I usually get a great session in um so that could be something as well if you're just feeling stagnant in your gym location try something new maybe another place has different equipment maybe the lighting's more anabolic and you look better in it I don't care just something that's going to help you continue to keep up that uh behavior absolutely okay number five so 
clients need to develop a growth mindset. So our the key here is that your growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. So I'm going to kind of go through some of the bullet points of what identifies a growth mindset. And then if you want, you can go through the fixed mindset and we'll kind of sure. give some anecdotes. So the first bullet point on a growth mindset is you see a challenge as an opportunity to learn. And these people believe that they can learn to get better at anything. And they also embrace effort as a path to mastery. They persist in the face of obstacles. They view critical feedback as useful. They meet failure with compassion and curiosity. And then they feel inspired by the success of others. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of do the contrast to that in the fixed sure. mindset. So a fixed mindset is seeing challenges as problems to be avoided, um, believing they're either good at something or not, valuing talent instead of effort, giving up in the face of obstacles, uh, people who view critical feedback as something to ignore or take offense to, you're taking it personal, um, you're meeting failure, uh, you meet failure um, with dejection or feelings of giving up, um, and you're threatened by the success of other people. Yeah, I think that this one is very, I think, I mean, it's very cut and dry, obviously, with those examples that we gave. But I think that in bodybuilding, when you think about your judging feedback, this is a really big opportunity yes. for you to work on growth mindset and mm -hmm. that's kind of how the sport is it's just you have to be okay with getting criticism it's part of the thing I mean mm -hmm. even Miss Olympia you know is not perfect um they get critiques they don't do as well as they want to in every show um mm -hmm. so it's taking that and using that as an opportunity to get better constantly um you know, just trying to put value out there. Like when I think about, um, you know, being a coach and I, I don't ever see some other coach as a threat. Like I want to learn from them. And mm -hmm. I think that everybody has something that they can share and bring value to in this industry. And I feel like the more I, um, become a student of the sport, the better coach I can be. So I'm not going to be threatened by, someone else's success, I'm going to, you know, see what they're doing and try to figure out like, okay, this is what probably made that person successful. And then I work on that myself. Um, and then you can do the same thing as an athlete when, you know, a judge gives you critique, you can take that and just run with it and continue to improve and use that as fuel for your fire to be better. Yeah, I think people with a perfectionist type of personality, because they do think this sport draws a lot of people who are on the perfectionist side of things. Um, the criticism part is probably the hardest um, because you're used to checking off all the boxes, doing everything right, and that it doesn't guarantee the outcome that you want in your head. I know for me, I'm a perfectionist, and that is something that from time to time has been very difficult. Um, but as I've grown in the sport and adopted different mentalities, instead of like, actually, uh, my boyfriend helped me with shifting this perspective. He said, like, instead of looking at like, I want to go, I want to compete in this show to achieve this placement. 
um, why don't you go to the show to get judge feedback? And I think just making that shift of like, I'm here to figure out what I can do to be better takes the pressure off of like trying to nail that placement. Um, and I think it, for me, at least it's helped me enjoy the process a lot more. So, um, yeah, I just can, I can obviously relate to like, it's trying to accept criticism as like not an indication that you've failed at something. It's more or less like you're going to always have something to improve upon. So um, I think that just comes with maturity as well. The longer you're in this sport, I've seen it with my clients, the, you know, the first show, they're just like really disheartened because it's not what they, they wanted. Um, And then we get into like the next year and they're amazing me with their positive outlook and what they want to correct and change. um, And just taking it in bite-sized pieces little by little. So um, yeah, I think that's important to continue in the sport. Yeah. A lot of all successful people, period, every single successful person has failed and they probably failed more than the people that are not successful but they aren't allowing chance to control them. They are taking those failures as learning opportunities and moving forward. So the last piece, um, number six, before we have to wrap up here is just what do you do when you fall off the wagon? And we need to understand that this is an opportunity. So that kind of segues into what I was just mentioning. So there's going to be times that you fail. You are not human if you don't fail. Um, it's, it's part of it. Okay. So, um, as far as that growth process, we need to make sure that, you know, for example, what could that client have done differently to prevent, Mm -hmm. uh, the self-control from being needed? What environmental social factors influence that action or decision and kind of help them foresee problems that may arise in the future and building a system to prevent them. I think that's, what's key is just anticipating that there's going to be times of temptation. Um, there's Mm going to be times where you're going to have to make exceptional decisions. This is not a sport for the weary. This is absolutely 100% upper echelon for a reason. You are making elite decisions to have an elite physique. And this is not something that the average person can do. Otherwise Mm -hmm. there'd be a lot of people walking around with six pack abs. Um, so I guess that kind of like sums up those six pieces on self-discipline. Did you have anything to add before we hop off? Um, Just to look at it as a learning experience. I get clients that will be very upset and they'll be so like distraught to tell me like, oh, I succumbed to like eating donuts in the break room or I really struggled with whatever. Um, And I always want to make sure that they know that this is a environment where you are supposed to be able to be comfortable telling me these things, because if we don't know, and if I don't know what's happening, then we can't figure out strategies to help you do better next time. So um, I always tell them, let's look at it as a learning experience. Like it happened. Let's not like dwell on it. So what can we do differently next time? Or just explore the situation from a different perspective. And a lot of times we can come up with different strategies, like, I don't know, something so silly as letting them budget for a rice cake and like a couple grams of nut butter so that they feel like they're getting carbs and fats when there's, you know, a donut, which is 
carbs and fat sitting in front of them. Um, so there's just a, diff- a lot of different ways. I just encourage you to communicate with your coach and figuring out where you're struggling because the learning opportunities are really the springboards, I think, that help people um, just get get to that next level. Awesome. Okay. Well, if you would like to give us any sort of feedback, um, a lot of you have been really kind about just sending us positive messages that you're getting things out of the podcast, which we really appreciate. So feel free to DM us um, about any topics that you would like to hear about. We are found on Instagram at Prep Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. We always appreciate any sort of rating or review that just helps other people that are interested in the same topics find us. And if you would like to apply for your unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button to apply. This is Amy Anger, your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, signing off with my fabulous co-host. And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, guys.